Hey, Hope family, we have officially wrapped up our series on the kingdom of God, and again, I hope you were able to take something from it, maybe just a thought that you can wrestle with for a little while. As we read through the book of Acts, I'm continually struck by what the first church found important and the paradoxes of the early church. It was a Jewish messianic religion, but it was relentless about pursuing ethnic diversity. It blossomed in a time where class and social lines were hard and fast, but it was a group of local communities in which those lines were erased and all were treated with equality. And the language and declarations that the early church made were threatening to the existing power structures, but because of their peaceful habits, they were not actually a physical threat to the governing authorities. All of these things perplexed the people around them. They intrigued many, confused others, but I think these things are what we are called to do today. But we're going to turn our attention away from what the kingdom of God looks like compared to the kingdoms of this world and focus on the moment and the people who really got this thing going. During Advent, we did a series called the, the Cast of Christmas, and so I'm going to spend the next three weeks doing a series called The Cast of Easter. There are so many characters that I'd love to talk about and have us think about, but we certainly won't get to all of them. We'll just be doing six of them. And it was hard to narrow it down, but I'd encourage you to take some time between now and Easter and maybe pick a character or two surrounding the crucifixion and resurrection and think about what impact their involvement must have had on them. We'll be going through some of the obvious ones, but I think of uh, Barabbas, who Jesus was literally killed in place of him. I think of Pontius Pilate, who is perhaps the most reluctant character in the story. The one uh, Roman centurion who at the foot of the cross declares, surely this man was the son of God. Each of them had a unique place in this story and certainly had a unique reaction to it afterwards. But today we're going to talk about Thomas. And our scripture for the day is John 20, verses 24 to 29, where we read this. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This passage is likely a familiar one. Even if the details haven't been permanently imprinted on your brain, you know Thomas as Doubting Thomas, and this story is why, specifically verse 25. And I wonder if this is a fair view of Thomas. I wonder if we haven't sold him short. Clearly, there is a moment of expressed doubt and serious doubt. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Those are strong words. But let's back up and see what else we know about Thomas. 
earlier in John, chapter 11 to be precise, we see a different side of Thomas. Here, Lazarus has recently died and Jesus is going to head back into Jerusalem. In verse 8 we read, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? So the disciples are concerned that Jesus is heading back to a place where his life is threatened. And in verse 16, after Jesus has made it clear that he is heading there, regardless of the concerns of his disciples, we read, So Thomas, called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. This isn't someone whose faith in their leader was wavering. Thomas is ready to give everything for his rabbi. Then a few chapters later, Jesus is with the disciples at the Last Supper, and he's explaining to them what's going to happen. He tells them that he's going to prepare a place for them, and Thomas pipes up again and says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Like in chapter 11, Thomas is ready to follow Jesus anywhere. We already know he's willing to follow him even unto death. So Thomas says, wherever you're going, just let us know where, and we are down. We are going to follow you. Thomas's question here leads to some of the most familiar words of Jesus that we have. Jesus responds to the question, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The next time that we hear from Thomas is in chapter 20, the verses that we read at the beginning. And I think with this extra, these extra stories taken into account, what we have in Thomas, I think, is a critical thinker. It's a little bit different than a doubter. He was valued by the disciples. We read that he wasn't there when Jesus first appeared, but the disciples went and found him. They said, Thomas, you missed it. Like, you need to be a part of us. And eight days later, when his disciples are gathered and Jesus shows up again, this time Thomas was with them. So I think, one, we learned something about Thomas, but we learned something about his community as well. That the community, even in spite of his doubts, said, you belong to us. You are still here. And I think we as Christians can definitely learn something from the other disciples, just as we can learn something from Thomas. But Thomas, he's known as Doubting Thomas, but I think he's a critical thinker, not so much a doubter. He has questions. And too many times in our Christian circles, people with questions are thought of as a nuisance, a problem to be solved quickly or otherwise discarded, rather than people to be nurtured and, and to be invested in. And we see in Thomas what happens when his questions are engaged. He says he won't believe, but Jesus shows up and Thomas sees only one rational response to seeing his risen Savior. It's not to actually go up and to to feel his hands and the scars and to stick his hand in the side. The only response he has is to worship. He says, my Lord and my God. We see that Thomas's questions were genuine and heartfelt, that they sound like doubt, because that's what questions do. They, set, they expose our doubts, but they come from a place of faith. I want to believe. I, this is what I need in order to do that. There are certainly people who are just nudges. They just want to bother you. They're cynical. They're doubters. They're, they might not even be doubters. In fact, they're just so certain. And I think we see examples of them all throughout Scripture. There was the lawyer who, uh, Scripture says, trying to justify himself, he said, but who is my neighbor? Right? That's not an honest question. He's trying to justify himself. Then we have the Pharisees who trying to trap Jesus. They say, uh, why don't your disciples pay taxes? Or is it lawful for us to pay taxes? They're trying to trap Jesus. These are not honest questions. But Thomas, we see 
his doubts come from a genuine place of faith that he is someone who is sold out for Jesus but then when he's faced with something he doesn't know what to do with he's he doesn't lie about it he doesn't fake it he doesn't cover it up he says this is what I need you guys want me to continue to be a part of this team I need to see it for myself I can't this is huge I can't just take your word for for it and I think all of us have been Thomas at some point or another we have said I'm not sure I can believe this I need something more we have, we have had questions that we just can't skirt around and we, we just can't accept taking someone else's word for it. We need to come to conclusions on our own. But once we do, watch out because our commitment will be stronger than those who beat us to believing. And I think it's okay if you are a Thomas, if you have questions. I hope that at our church, at Hope, you feel like this is a safe place for you to ask questions. For those of you who aren't so open to or aren't so likely to ask questions, I hope that you are someone that can be asked questions. That as people ask questions, you don't judge them, you don't make them feel uncomfortable, but that we engage with people who are genuinely seeking to know more. We don't hear from Thomas going forward in the Bible. But tradition tells us that he became a missionary to India, where he spent many years before he eventually was martyred for his faith. As we consider doubting Thomas today, I think we should ponder what does our doubt cause us to do? Thomas's doubt led him to ask questions. It led him to state very plainly, this is how I think, this is how I feel, this is what I need. And we saw that his community said, we understand what you need. And we might not be able to give you exactly what you need, but we can still be present with you. I believe that doubt is a healthy part of faith. I love what Madeline Langle, author of A Wrinkle in Time, says about faith and doubt. And why don't you listen? I'll let her say it for herself. The value of doubt is to keep you open to God's revelations. If you don't doubt, you don't change. If you don't ask questions, you stay stuck wherever you were. If you have to have finite answers to infinite questions, uh, you're not going to move. Or, as rapper Andy Minio puts it, Thomas doubted, but it never should have been his defining characteristic. Thomas's doubt led to questions, and his questions led him to a deeper faith. What is your doubt producing in you this Easter?